Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. So welcome back to another episode of the Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Nick Carman, and this evening I'm joined by Nick Hayes, co-founder and MD of RG Real Estate. Nick joins RG, a main contractor and an established track record as a construction partner to the living sector, but who now wishes to be both developer and delivery partner. Now, prior to Nick joining RG Group, he led the development, investment and asset management of the Unite portfolio as their property director, a portfolio home to 70,000 students in the UK. So Nick, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Nick. So let's get us started, shall we? Tell us how chapter one begins. Yeah, so chapter one begins right back to my uh, childhood, I guess. So growing up, my mum and dad didn't have masses of money. So as a as a kid, we weren't able to to do some of the things that some of our friends were were, were kind of doing. And that was always a kind of motivating factor for me uh, as a youngster that I always said to myself that when I grow up, I want to try and be as kind of successful as I can be so that I can experience things that perhaps I wasn't able to do when I was uh, when I was kind of growing up. And the other element to my childhood that was probably a, m- a more important element was really around my kind of family uh, setup and structure. So I, I was one of uh, four kids. Uh, I had three uh, sisters, but my sisters were all kind of significantly older than me. So I was able to see what my sisters were kind of doing and, and how they moved through life. So when I was kind of nine years old, two of my sisters moved out, went to university, they they were there at, at university. I, I kind of saw them going through their their kind of A levels, moving into their kind of higher education, and uh, you know I'll, I'll never forget kind of A level results day that they they came and picked me up from school and drove me straight to the pub where there and the friends were were kind of celebrating their results, and there I was as a kind of nine year old kid uh, sat with a bunch of eighteen year olds who were who, who were all kind of getting stuck into the beer, and, and I was there with a pint of lager shandy uh thinking you know what the hell's going on so I had all these kind of weird and wonderful kind of experiences off the back of it um but it really I think gave me a real insight into how my sisters kind of moved through their education and careers because they all went in kind of slightly different ways so uh, as I was kind of going through my my levels and and coming up to my kind of UCAS uh, application I was thinking right I'm going to put Redbrick University down as number one but actually as, as my backup in case I really stuff my levels up I quite fancy doing a real estate degree like my sister did. She said that Sheffield was quite good, Nottingham was good, and Reading was good. And I didn't want to go to Nottingham because that's where she'd been. I didn't want to go to Reading. I had a few mates who were going to Sheffield anyway, doing other things. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll put Sheffield Hallam down. So anyway, I, I get through to do my my kind of A levels. Um, I ended up um, stuffing them up quite spectacularly. Um, at the time, I thought it was a kind of massive injustice. Is kind of kids do but but the reality was I, I just simply hadn't worked as hard as I should have done in my A-levels and that was kind of a real kind of life lesson for me as well but but I knew kind of deep down that I'd be going and doing something that I, I could see a, a a kind of career or someone had gone through a career path in, a, in an industry that seemed quite attractive to me even, even though I didn't really have the faintest idea you know about real estate or what it meant or, or kind of how it worked so so there I was. I kind of finished my finished my levels. I ended up uh, going to Sheffield Hallam uh, Uni to do um, urban land economics. I did no preparation for it, so I hadn't even been to see the university. And I remember my dad driving me there 
I grew up in Liverpool, so it was a, it was a kind of drive across the Pennines over to Sheffield, a city I'd never visited, a university I'd never been to. You know, it was it was it was it was it was textbook how not to select a university. Other than I'd taken some counsel from my from my elder siblings, and I felt well that that was kind of good enough for me. Um, but turned up there and uh, and really loved uh, Sheffield, loved the uh, loved the uni, and met some met some brilliant people on my course as well, who are many of which are, are still friends, good friends today, and people that you know I've kind of grown up with and now ending up in the working world doing business with and we had a we just had a fantastic time at, at Hallam it was um, a great mix of people interesting learning about kind of real estate and just something that I'd never really you know put my mind to or really understood I'd never really uh, you know I'd love to say I'd had a young you know as a young boy I'd had like a a, a real interest in architecture or anything like that sadly that, that wasn't really the case for me um, but um, but having learned a bit more about it I was getting more intrigued by it I'm, I'm generally quite a curious person anyway uh, and the beauty about that degree and, and many real estate degrees are you, you have the option of doing a sandwich year, which is just a fantastic way of of getting experience in the working world. And uh, and also what, what's great is it, it, it gives you a, a taste for surveying, as it was for me. And that works one of two ways. So there were a number of people on our course who came back from year out and just hated it. And that was brilliant because then they knew they didn't want to be a surveyor. But equally, there were a whole bunch of us who who had a great time and we were then able off the back of that kind of sandwich year to to really kind of think, right, okay, well, this is, you know, this is a career for me. You know, I wanna I wanna knuckle down, you know, get qualified and 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 really give it a go. And and I was I was really lucky with my sandwich placement because I, I ended up getting a a placement with National Car Parks, which is a bit niche to say the least, but I'd been for an interview with a with an agent. And you know, being frank, I thought I could probably wing the interview. That that went really badly, uh, and I and I realised quite quickly that actually in the working world you, you can't wing stuff, um, particularly when you're particularly when you're starting out, uh, and therefore you need to be kind of prepared and and uh, you know to give the best account of yourselves and to give you the best opportunity to get a job. So the, a, a job a job interview came up with uh, with NCP in Manchester. So I went to go and meet. There was three surveyors who basically ran the the kind of north region which kind of covered everything north of Birmingham through Scotland, Northern Ireland uh, and Southern Ireland as well actually at the time and yeah I came packed all my stuff up I had a kind of notes all prepared I had I'd done a bit of research into uh, into car parking really just to show that I was kind of enthusiastic about the role and um, fortunately I, I kind of got the job and, uh, and, and started my career there uh, working with three as I say really kind of experienced but very different surveyors there's uh, a guy andrew jameson who i'll come on to later who ended up moving into the student sector um and was one of the reasons why i ended up moving into student later on in my career at that time he was two or three years qualified so relatively new into his role but kind of really grasped the kind of business and, and what was required and really took me under his wing and you know i was really lucky that he he really showed an interest in me and spent a lot of his time um, helping me out along the way, uh, and then there was a guy called Steve Littleland who who was a bit older, been around the block, been in parking for twenty five years. He, he he was the kind of he he knew everything uh, there was to know about NCP and uh, and the parking world, which is which is quite a talent. Um, and then and then there was a guy called uh, Duncan Ashworth who sadly passed away at a really young age, but was a, but was an incredibly dynamic um, surveyor. He, he he negotiated some fantastic deals, um, really complex joint ventures, which really kind of grew NCP at the time and uh, and really pushed them on and and he, he was a brilliant person to 
um, to learn from as well. So, so I, I spent I spent kind of a year with NCP. I was given a uh, I was given a, a car to basically drive around the north of England, uh, go and visit every town and city, and basically try and find parking sites that we could either buy uh, or lease. I had a great time going and visiting different places that I'd never been to before. I managed to get over to Northern Ireland, went over to Dublin, visited cities in Scotland, and and I had a great time. Um, but obviously, I was I, I had no experience and I didn't really know what I was doing, and uh, and sadly didn't buy any car parks. But but I did get stuck into a few other things. So there was there was lots of asset management involved uh, in that role. So um, rent reviews, lease renewals. A lot of the car parks were actually leased rather than owned by NCP. So. And also, I started learning about P&Ls, and every car park had their own P&L, and I started learning about revenue and operating cost and how if you can improve revenue at, at one site, then you would improve profitability, and improving the profitability improves the valuation. And, and that's all kind of fairly obvious, but as a, as a kid kind of undergraduate at university learning its way in real estate gave me an absolutely brilliant foundation for for actually how property was changing at the time and I didn't realize it but becoming much more kind of customer centric um, operational focus it gave me a, a, a fantastic rounding to that end so so I, I had a brilliant year with uh, with NCP learned learned loads got a lot of stick from my mates that I basically spent a year in a car park um, taking uh, uh, taking payment receipts and, uh, and and pointing people to the parking space but, but I had a brilliant time and I went back to uni, f- finished university, graduated, and then NCP said, "Look, do you fancy fancy coming back as a as a graduate?" And I was I was kind of really keen for that, so moved back to Manchester. Then for the next kind of twelve months, really worked hard on trying to get my APC done. And I kind of knew that if I did if I did my APC in that first year, it was the earliest possible point in time I could have got. Uh, kind of accredited, could have could have got my uh, MRICS. So getting my chartered surveying was a big thing for me because that then would give me kind of options for uh, for the next stage in in my career so actually having having fluffed my levels worked really hard probably the hardest I've worked from an academic perspective over the following 12 months in in preparing myself for my APC and then of course I get I, I, I get another kind of push factor which was really my, my girlfriend at the time who's who's my my wife now um, basically said look at the end of this year I'm going traveling and you're either coming with me or you're not. And um, the interview from APC would have been in September. Uh, so I thought, right, well, you know, I don't want you to go traveling by yourself because, you know, that probably means we'll break up or what have you. I, d- I didn't want to break up with her. So I thought, right, I've really got to get this APC nailed. Um, other- otherwise, um, God knows what's going to happen. So Got on the line. Um, yeah, so um, so I ended up, um, ended up passing my APC, thankfully. And it was actually really helpful being coming from an unusual kind of tutelage and usual background in terms of my professional experience because when I was on the panel um, none of the panelists really understood anything about car parking so it was an hour-long interview and I think the first 20 minutes was spent asking questions about how you value a car park and you know what what, what do NCP own and what are you doing and you know I, as I was saying earlier I had a I'd kind of fabulous experience across kind of you know trying to get planning consent for sites that we own through so lease renewals extensions um, P&Ls and I really felt at that stage that I was 
a bit of a car parking nerd. So if they were asking me questions on car parking, I could I could answer it, and, and I knew I knew more than these guys did because it was a specialism. And I guess that kind of really helped me in in that scenario. So um, so yeah, fortunately managed to um, to pass my APC. I, I then had the uh, uh, the difficult job of, of of telling Andrew Jameson, who was the guy who was looking after me, that that I was going to you know thanks for all your support, but I'm now buggering off and and going travelling. Uh, around the world and I was actually with Andrew uh, last week having a beer with him and uh, I hadn't caught up with him for a number of months and he said uh, as we, we were chatting to someone he said yeah he used to be my grad and then he uh, I got more qualified and he buggered off um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and 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 I couldn't really deny that so uh, so went went traveling uh, with with the wife uh, or the girlfriend who became a wife had a brilliant time any of your listeners who are kind of going through that phase of their career, if they're thinking, oh, do you know what? I'm not sure whether I want to do it. I'll just say, do it. You know, uh, you'll always get a job at some point. Um, don't don't kind of put your career before kind of personal experiences and enjoyment. And we had a brilliant time just um, traveling different countries, different cultures. And we, we spent a full year kind of away. And we we returned at kind of Christmas time. So come, come the new year, I, I went on the job hunt and basically went for a job that you know would pay me the most money and, and and get me financially back on my feet and secure and enable us to get our own place and, and all that kind of stuff and uh, there was a job job came up with uh, land securities uh, trillium as is now known as tt uh, telereal trillium but back in those days was owned by uh, land securities and effectively what that what trillium did and the role i was doing was that they 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 owned a whole bunch of job centres and um, uh, and offices that the Department for Work and Pensions uh, once owned or leased, and and there was a kind of twenty odd year contract in place for for Trillium to basically operate and manage uh, the estate on behalf of uh, the Department for Work and Pensions, and I kind of got a job there working on a kind of regionalised basis on a, on a bunch of assets which which needed to be managed. And uh, Trillium is a is a great business, uh, and I had some brilliant people there actually. But but I knew actually from the moment I stepped through the door that it wasn't right for me. And I remember going to lunch that first day and thinking, I don't like this. And part of it might have been by the fact that I'd spent the last year bumming around, you know, traveling the world. But um, I, I knew it wasn't really what I wanted to do in the long term. The type of work that I was working on, the more kind of asset management type of work wasn't really for me and I remember um coming up to uh, coming back to work on the second day and you get the usual banter and they're like oh you oh you came back then and I kind of laughed but I was thinking god I was really close to not coming back and as I say it had nothing to do with the people there because there were there were some brilliant people and I actually ended up staying there for uh, for 18 months because I kind of got used got got into a rhythm of it got used to it and you know the people there were good uh, I got on with the people and, and and it was kind of okay but there was something inside me that 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 was basically saying look you know this isn't for the long term I didn't want to do kind of management I wanted to do you know more of the kind of acquisition investment or development side of things you know some of the things that I was doing at NCP I guess that I that I kind of enjoyed more than the management but I just didn't really realize it at the time that that's that that's where I wanted to go as a career and and so then I um, I kind of reached back out to Andrew Jameson, who'd been my uh, been been my guy at NCP, and by that point in time he'd moved to uh, Unite in Manchester, and he was like, look, why don't you why don't you give Unite a go? It's a great business. Um, and I was like, who are Unite? You know, I don't want to go and work for a union. Um, and he was like, no, 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 we do student accommodation. I was like, I'd never heard of student accommodation. I was like, okay, well, that sounds that sounds a bit random. 
sounds good but I, you know i don't think it's for me I, you know at the time i wanted to go into the mainstream i wanted to go into like office space or something like that so then he was he was like well you know give it a go if ever the job comes up i'll, I'll let you know and then about three months later uh, i get invited to a golf day and I, I, was, I was on my way to the golf day and i was having a look at the list of people that were going there and there was there was, there was a guy called richard simpson from united students and i thought oh, that's interesting so i gave andrew a call and he's like yeah, yeah richard's he's a really good guy and he's recruiting at the moment as well. And I was thinking, okay, well, I'll try and I'll try and grab him. And by complete coincidence, we ended up playing in the same kind of four balls. So for those people that don't really know or understand golf, you basically get as you go to a golf day, you get divided up into groups of four. And we ended up in the same four ball. We got kind of talking, and then we sat next to each other over uh, over kind of dinner. And at the time, I didn't have a car either. I think so. Richard offered me a, a lift home, and, we, and he got talking about kind of. The business and his vision for the business and what he was trying to do from a development perspective and grow the development pipeline for for this company in in london and i thought well you know i'm still not sure about student you know it still it still seems a little bit kind of left field it wasn't really in the psyche kind of 15 16 years ago but then i thought well actually what he's doing here is that he's given me an opportunity to get into development and that's more important than anything because it's one of the areas that i really wanted to get into and um, anyway, I went, went, went for an interview, invited me in, interview went great. And then I had to go back for a second interview with, with HR. And he basically told me exactly what to say in that second interview, which was, uh, which was an amazing heads up from him. So nailed that and then, and, and then decided to, to kind of move across and, and join Richard at, um, at Unite. And, you know, at, at that stage, I, I didn't ever think that I would be there for the best part of 16 years, which I was in the end. You know, I thought that would be a, a role for me where I'd be there for kind of two years, maybe three years, learn the ropes on on development and then um, and then kind of move on. I don't know, some, something inside me wanted to go into office development or something like that. But then I landed at Unite and I moved back in. So the time I moved into Unite would have been 2007. So, again, not a brilliant time, as it turned out, to go and move to a developer because you know, a year later, the, the financial crisis came along and most property developers at that time went bust. But before we got to that stage, I kind of turned up at Unite and I, I was kind of really warmly welcomed in by the team. We had a really crap office space in uh, in Waterloo. I mean, it, it was it was rubbish, um, but it was so rubbish. It created kind of real great camaraderie amongst the team. And you could kind of sense that as you work through, as, as you kind of walk through the door, everyone was super welcoming, had a great vibe there. And I remember my first day, Richard was like, look, here's five development sites, you're managing them. And I was thinking, hold on a second, I haven't got any development experience. Like, I didn't want to say that to him, but in my mind, I was thinking, I'm not sure I'm kind of qualified to do this job. Does he think I'm something that I'm not? And really what it was, it was, it was the first insight to the way that kind of Richard in particular worked, which was that he wanted to give people kind of responsibility so that you had a kind of accountability for what you're delivering and what you're doing. Uh, and also he did it and, and he linked me up with at the time a guy called Angus Kieran, who was construction director, very capable, well-experienced individual. He was basically holding my hand through it, but I didn't kind of realize it uh, at the time. And um, there I was given these four or five projects, which all had loads of things going wrong that needed fixing. And I absolutely, absolutely loved it. And I remember one of the things that I really wanted to do was I really wanted to go and buy a site as quickly as possible so I could prove to Unite that they'd recruited the right person. And it's funny how kind of careers work in kind of circles and experiences you've had from 
different parts of your career come back to help you in in kind of later life but it was really funny because we bought a uh, we we bought a, a development site on the Holloway Road outright so we owned it and it was just sat there vacant so I said look I can I can rent that as a car park and basically managed to get a car park operator in they rented it for a year and the rent that they paid was uh, equivalent to my kind of salary so I knew kind of straight away and I did that in the first kind of six or eight weeks so straight away I'd already got my kind of salary covered and I thought okay well that's a good start you know if I if I cock a couple of things up here or there it takes me a little bit longer to get my head around and understand um you know the the, the nuts and bolts of development then you know I've at least I've done something positive and I think that was kind of recognised and, and, and went down really well. So, so here here we were. We were kind of in in this environment. It was a very different environment to uh, to Trillium. Trillium was very much more kind of corporate, and you know you wear a, a suit and tie. Uh, Unite was the complete other end of the spectrum at the, at the time. Back then, it was still had the feel of a startup, even though it was a listed organisation and a big push on networking on getting out on meeting agents and trying to trying to get as many land deals through as we could to try and grow um the pipeline and and that involved doing lots of fun things so lots of lunches lots of dinners we'd always we'd always host events and it was it, it was a great time but very very different to uh to how unite kind of ended up maturing and and very very different to uh very different to trillium as well so nick you mentioned then to the gfc how did that affect Unite? Yeah, I mean, it had a profound effect on on Unite. So we we were at the time, as I mentioned, this kind of very much startup feel business, trying to buy everything we could. Back in the day, you would have high leverage real estate companies, even listed real companies would have um, high leverage, and um, in order to, to to meet their kind of growth ambitions. And obviously, when the when the financial crisis happened, there was a huge credit crunch. Debt just disappeared values plummeted loan to values went up and many many property companies breached their um, funding obligations and many companies um, became insolvent and went bust with unite they came very close to that but clearly didn't go bust in the end but they, they avoided it by the skin of the teeth and the reason for that was that during the financial crisis rents in real estate were going down but rents and student accommodation kept going up because when you're in a recession, people want to go back into education because partly because there's no work out there, but secondly, because they want to make sure that they're giving themselves the best chance to get a job when they finish um, their kind of education journey. So we were in a business where we could still service our debt, pay the interest off, but we couldn't raise any new capital. We were we were kind of stuck. And I, I was still very junior at, the, at this point in time in United, and I, but, but, I, but I distinctly remember the chief exec at the time having kind of daily calls with his kind of senior team. And, you know, he let on many years later that, you know, they were almost counting the money going in and going out day by day, trying to keep the business alive. And, and really he, he learned a great deal about kind of how you run a business at that point in time. And we had to totally change the way that we went about business. So there was, there was huge, organizational redesign so we went from a property team of 65 people down to 12 uh, we closed all our kind of regional offices we focused in london because we knew that's where the growth would eventually uh, be best um, coming out of student and we made sure that anything that we were doing was being done in a way that would help repair the balance sheet of the business and help get the business going again and and i remember kind of at the at, at the real bottom of the market Unite was valued at, at, at a share price of 39p. 
um, and you know it's about kind of nine pounds fifty today. So it was worth practically nothing. You know, investors thought the business was going to go was going to go pop, and we ended up doing a, a joint venture deal, which really kind of established the valuation principles of the business, which then propelled the business and enabled the business to then raise more capital and invest into the sector. And this was about eighteen months, two years after the GFC. So we're talking two thousand nine, two thousand ten here and you know at the time mark allen who's now chief exec of land circus you know incredibly visionary guy you know he he set this strategy up and survived and thrive and we got through the survival piece through his his kind of leadership and management and then he got us into a position where we could raise capital and then thrive because all through that period of time our occupation was was full our rents were growing and investors were starting to see that actually this strange kind of sector that they kind of got but didn't like the fact that, you know, you'd have to rent a room every year and there wasn't a 15-year lease to, you know, a Marks and Spencer or what have you. They started showing more interest. So we were then able to raise more capital and that meant that we then had to go again and we had to to go and buy again. And that was a really exciting time as well. So, you know, off the back of that, I was then, as the team had got smaller, I started getting more senior and then I was kind of leading the acquisition hunt and that started in London and we we, we we secured some fantastic sites in London. We got planning consent for them and then we raised some more capital and then we did some more in London and then we and then we eventually went out to the regions and we did some some brilliant sites in Manchester and Edinburgh and all these kind of top markets in the regions. And then we started kind of growing the business again. But the business was always growing in a way that learned from the uh, years gone by and learned from the mistakes made prior to the GFC. So we'd never overextend ourselves from a debt perspective. We'd always make sure that whatever we invested, we were able to get a return on it quickly. And we'd always always make sure that whatever we invested in, we'd get a high return as well. So we could kind of keep that shareholder journey going. And, you know, as I say, we ended up, you know, recovering the share price, you know, significantly. And Unite over that time has been one of the best trading uh, listed stocks out there it's it's traded pretty much historically at a premium to to nav so what that means is that the the shares are worth more than the value of the assets where over the last five or six years most listed real estate companies the shares trade at a huge discount to the value of their assets so you know britishland produced their results yesterday they're trading at about a 40 percent discount so investors in british land believe the business is worth 40 percent less than the value, the net value of their of, of their assets, and many property companies are in that in, in that sphere. But Unite has always been trading at a premium. It enabled them to kind of raise capital and and, and grow into uh, grow into the sector. So as that kind of growth journey kind of accelerated, obviously, you know, I become more experienced, and 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 I, my, you know, my, my career kind of evolves. I, I was under brilliant tutelage from uh, Richard Simpson, who was who was a fantastic leader. Um, I worked fantastically well with him. I had a great time. I learned an awful lot from him as well over over that period of time. And then he moved on in uh, 2019, something like that, 2018, 2019, to become chief exec of Watkin Jones. And that that created the opportunity for me to step up into his shoes as as property director. And and, and that was an interesting move for me because it, it it moved me out of just doing just development. I was then responsible for all our uh, our investment portfolio, our asset management. And so I had to, you know, really kind of, you know, get my head around um, that side of the market as well. But then also you get kind of propelled as you move up into exec committees and other bits and pieces, you get propelled into a more of a corporate finance role. You need to understand equity investors. You need to understand how the business is is valued and, and what levers you can and can't pull 
to really give the business the best possible performance and financial outcome that it can um, for shareholders. And, and there's no real kind of, as far as I'm aware anyway, there's no real kind of way you can learn that from a textbook or from, you know, going and doing a master's degree or what have you. you you've got to kind of learn it on the spot because the markets are just so fluid. They change all the time. Sentiment changes all the time. And you've kind of got to, got to be able to react for that. So that was a really interesting kind of final stage in my, uh, say, my kind of last trimester at at Unite, where um, I really started developing a you know an understanding of the capital markets, of you know a little bit on corporate finance and 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 how the kind of stock market interacted with you know with real estate and how what we were doing from a property perspective, you know, impact share price and, and overall performance in the business. Now, inevitably, you know, whenever it's got a, a long tenure of business, um it's always difficult to distill everything down from there. And you spent sixteen years at Unite. Um, so I am certain that there will be some uh, some some milestones there we've just had to skip over, but there was there was one I just wanted to come back to and ask you a question, uh, and and that was that final role you had with them, that really big gig, you know, running development, asset management, and investment for for Unite. At what age were you? Uh, so I've been thirty five. Thirty five years old. Okay. Yeah. Um, of a, list, yeah, of a list of a listed yeah. business, um, uh, part of these excos. This, I mean, this sounds this sounds like you're you're pretty green, given the the seniority of that role. Did it feel like it? Well, certainly in terms of learning on the spot, it was. But actually, the the unite environment was actually really encouraging towards towards younger people thriving in the business. Um, you know, Mark Allen was CFO at twenty eight, chief exec at thirty one. Um, Richard Simpson was property director early 30s so we had this culture in the organization of of real development of people and age was not a barrier so if you showed the capability to to do a job then then you'd get rewarded and you'd you'd be given you know the broader role as a result of it but yeah I mean absolutely you know there 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 were absolutely things that you had to learn on the spot that that you know weren't taught in the way that perhaps it would have been done in other organizations but I think that's how you keep hold of uh, of people that you know are able to show their ability to you know perform in a business and evolve you know by giving them new experiences and by giving them new challenges um i think if you if if you wait until you're ready it's probably too late because you would have moved on by that stage oh that that i definitely want to ask you about then because that is an that's an interesting answer lots and lots of people are right now who are listening to this you know are waiting to be ready for their next promotion. You know, waiting to earn the right for that promotion because they they want to they want to tick off the last box of their experience. And once they've done that, then they've got ten out of ten, and then can go and then then can go sort of knock on the door and saying, right, I'm re- I'm ready for this. Your advice is then they should do that sooner. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it it, it depends on the individual, right? I mean, some people will want to make sure they are absolutely ready before they do it. And, you know, there's there's an argument to be said that that is that is the right way to go about it. But if you're the type of person that that wants to kind of get on, develop, do new things, um, see see your kind of career move on and the people around you, how they move on and how they kind of work with you, I think. I think you've got to you've you've got to do it sooner rather than later. There's always a balance, and what what Unite were brilliant at were were creating frameworks for people to to thrive in. And I'll, I'll talk about it a bit in a, in a moment. But you know, we, coming back to, to to the very first role I had at Unite, you know, I was I was thrown in and doing development management. And I didn't have any development experience. It meant I had to learn on the spot. 
and we had that culture within the organization and when i recruited people into the development team we'd give them that absolute responsibility to say right this is your project go and deliver it and that generates ownership and it generates enthusiasm because people don't want to let you down fundamentally there's a fundamental you know piece of a human being and if they're given something to do people want to do a good job generally and if, if, if there's proper ownership there that they think all oh, right well i've got to go and deliver this then they'll usually do as best a job as they possibly can do and then the trick then around that is to then create the right framework the right checks and balances so that they can't go too far wrong so it creates an issue or it creates a risk and we managed to create that in the in the unite team by having the right framework around us the right supply chain the right um consultant base the right capability at senior senior level that people could sniff out if something was going wrong and they could step in and help. But it would also give the ownership to that individual that they knew that they were in in charge and that they knew they could they could control what they were given flexibility to control. And I think that led to us having you know super low turnover in the property team because people felt engaged, um, they enjoyed what they were doing, and they felt like they were owning it. And I think I think that's that, that that's so important. I think from a kind of leadership perspective. So Nick, for the benefit of the, the listeners, I've got the benefit of hindsight. We know that you do leave Unite and you leave Unite this this year. You've had this phenomenal run. So it begs the question then of the why. You know, what was the drivers then that drove that change? Yeah, probably a couple of things really. It was it was it was the right time for me. I mean, I think 15, 16 years in one organization is is too long. Um, but because my career had been evolving, I was kind of happy with that. Secondly, I, I was also aware that that I'd probably reached the stage in my career and my time at Unite that, you know, there were new people coming in with new ideas. And I was sat there going, no, we've done that, it doesn't work. We've done that, it doesn't work. And I remember being young in my career and having people say that to me, and it really annoyed me. And I, I remember sat there thinking, oh, my God, I've turned into one of those people. Um, it, you know, it's it, it's probably time to it's probably time to move on. And then equally, I had a brilliant team that was working around me. I'd probably reached the kind of nadir as where I could go within Unite and the organization as to where it was as well. It was probably a good mutual thing for them to be able to create some space to enable development for the team that sat below me to kind of step up and and really take a lead on the property side and and has now given me the opportunity to 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 move on and do and do something new. And I, I was I'd always had a desire to go and kind of create a business and set up a business and do something new. I never really needed to itch that. Um, desire up until uh, up until now and I also wanted to move away from the kind of corporate PLC world as well because you know whilst you know it was a great business being a PLC in, in real estate is not easy uh, you know there's, there's there's a lot of governance there's a lot of um, checks and balances and I just wanted to move somewhere and create something that was going to be far more agile where you could really focus on delivery performance output <clears throat> and um you know, clearly we're, we're you know we're in a sector where there's plenty of capital around to um, to invest into it. So I was very very motivated to create something that um, that that I could grow over over the next few years. And as I say, I feel like we're in the right uh, the right sector for that. And I, uh, and I think the next few years is going to have some tremendous growth in the uh, in the living sector. So Nick, you've you've told us a brilliant story now of someone who's gone through sort of meteoric success made decisions right at the very, very start of their career by sort of taking the path less less trodden. And that's continued through throughout this, um, uh, dealing with sort of t- assets and a t- even a type of real estate 
um, the operations of the real estate that, that just that hasn't had a, a huge amount of sort of sunlight to um, until very recently. So again, it begs the question as to you know what you have learned from that. You know, for the benefit of our listeners now, you know, what would you say have been the the key learnings from that career in that space? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, it's a big question, isn't it? And there's you know there's loads I've learned over the years, and no doubt I'll I won't be able to cover everything, but. I guess some of the things that kind of stick out for me was really around how I was able to kind of create some of that success. And a lot of it was around relationships. And I'd say kind of don't underestimate the power of relationships and building building strong relationships with the right people in the right organizations. A lot of it's around surrounding yourself with the best people. So always try and recruit the best possible people you can and ensure that they are kind of rewarded and that they're given the you know opportunities to develop in the way that I was given through through kind of my career and there was something also that that kind of kind of links a, a lot of that together around how businesses can kind of perform or outperform really and and that was around something that I stumbled across a few years ago go called game theory and I um I remember as a child in my uh in my bedroom, uh, I had a I had a bookshelf and I had a I had a whole bunch of books which which weren't mine. They were doing my parents, but they had nowhere else to put them. And one of the books was Game Theory, and I'd always kind of look at it as a kid and thinking, I wonder what that's about. It sounds kind of fun. Um, but as someone who hated reading, um, I never uh, I never bothered to kind of open the book and and read it. Or I think I did it once and started reading. It. I thought, no, I don't I don't get this. This is kind of theory. I thought it would be going to going to be something um, fun, but. Um, it was only really when uh, I got in and met a guy called Paul Sweeney, who was a consultant who we used with um, uh, Unite for many years. And he started talking about how kind of businesses can work together and create a better outcome for both businesses if they work in the right way. And this is ultimately what, what game theory it is. And I'd seen, I hadn't realized at the time, but I'd seen with a, with a couple of providers in particular that we'd created relationships like that, where both businesses were really thriving um, off the back of it and I'll, I'll give you a kind of a story which kind of explains some of it but we had this one development site in in um, King's Cross and we were just coming out of the financial crisis and not much was being built um, back then so contractors were desperate for work and we'd been working with a, a new with RG who obviously I've, I've then gone on to create a new business with and um, they'd been working on the project all the way through planning we got planning consent on it which took about 18 months and then once we got planning we decided not to commit to the bills because the timing wasn't right in the capital market so we waited another year and they were they, they were kind of a bit miffed about that because they'd created you know their, their team ready to go on this particular project and then uh, you know the year passes and then, and then we go to to finally kind of break ground and uh, and get going with it and um at the time at unite we had to use bank debt and at the time the bank turned around and said you can't use rg the balance sheet's not strong enough you need to use a different contractor so I had to go and have that conversation with RG, who, you know, bearing in mind back then, this was probably the one job that, that that they were kind of hanging the business on. They'd kind of created a team for, they'd waited a year. It had been a job that they'd been working on with us for for over two two years, and I had to tell them that, look, we're really sorry, but but you're not getting you're not getting the job, and it's got nothing to do with your capability. It's just the fact that the bank have said we can't use you. And they didn't really understand the kind of financial capital markets at the time to the extent that we did, and they kind of took it hard. And I remember I got a phone call from the chairman of the company at the time, and he he phoned me up and just said, "Look, can we can we catch up over over around the golf and have a chat?" And I thought, "Oh God, here we go." 
you know this ain't going to be a, a great conversation. We're gonna we're gonna turn up there. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna uh, you know tell me that we've kind of ruined the business and it's a disaster and and you know he's going to talk about how what an impact it's had and it's going to be a really challenging conversation. And anyway, we I, I turn up at this at this golf course and funnily enough, the golf course in question had just hosted a, a qualifier for it for for US Open. So. It, what that means is that the, the course was in like horrendous condition to play if you're not very good at golf like me. And I turned up at the car park and he had he had a box of 12 balls and he gave them to me and he said, look, you're going to need all of these. Uh, you're going to lose a lot of balls today. Uh, and that kind of straight away kind of broke the ice. And anyway, we we, we got we started playing. We kind of hit a tee shots and we, we walked off. And I just said to him, I said, look, John, look, I'm really sorry about, about what's happened. And he turned around and he said, Nick, I'm not here to talk about that. He's like, don't ever say sorry for what you've done for our business. You've given us the opportunity to get into student. We'd given them at the time a couple of small refurbishments, which I knew that no, they didn't really want to do because it was, it was too small for them. But he said, the refurbishments you've given us are brilliant. You know, they're keeping us going. And we'd love to do more with you when the time's right. And that was it. And I just thought, wow, what a, what a reaction. I wasn't expecting that. And I left thinking, I've got to make sure that these guys are sorted out, that we work with them because they work in, in exactly the same way and have the same thinking that we do. They kind of recognise it, they get it, and they want to work with us. And that was really, it wasn't the start of the, of the relationship because we'd, we'd worked with them for a couple of years, but that really propelled them. And then as the market improved and got better, we were then able to work with them. And over my time, I think they ended up building something like 70% of all of Unite's pipeline. And we built a fantastic open relationship with it. And why that's game theory is really around what John could have done then is he could have he could have really kind of had a go at me. I would have left going, God, that was tough. I feel sorry for him. But actually, it's not my fault. You know, I didn't make that decision. And it would have left a bit of taste in my mouth. In fact, I left that thinking, I've got to work with these guys. I've got to try and find a way that we continue to work with them because they think in the right way. And that's a bit about what game theory is about. It's about two businesses trying to create a position where they trust each other and work together such that they end up then actually outperforming other businesses. And actually, we, we had other, other companies where we'd kind of getting there and then you'd find out that they'd try and pull the wool over your eyes on something and, and all of a sudden you go, well, why have you tried that? It breaks trust. And then you move away from that business and then both businesses suffer. But with this organization, we'd work really well together and both businesses absolutely benefited from working together in that way and I've, I've seen it across all, all different areas so the way you work with different businesses not trying to kind of create short-term profit thinking about the long-term picture thinking about trying to create those relationships and long-term uh, ways of working will really help um, kind of businesses grow um, and move forward and then pr probably the last kind of learning as such that, that I talk about is really around more of a personal one really which which is really around You've got to do something, first of all, you're interested in. I found that I've got zero energy for stuff I don't like. And that goes back to my kind of um, conversation at the start about Trillium. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the company. It wasn't the, the assets. It wasn't the people. It just wasn't the right job for me. And my energy just went. And I realized that if I do something where I don't have the right energy for it, I don't do a very good job. So personally, I've got to do something that I'm really energized by. And then secondly, you've got to do something that, that you're happy doing and be in an environment that you're happy with. You spend so much of your life in work that you cannot afford to be unhappy in that time, regardless of what people will pay you or what other benefits you might get. It's not, it's not worth it. And there was, there was a book written by uh, Bronnie Ware, which was something like called uh, Be Happy, 
the top five regrets of the dying, which which sounds quite grim, but but I thought it was quite interesting. And this was someone who was a care worker who who was 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 basically working in a hospice and worked closely with with people at um, end of life care. And she wrote a book on on the themes, the five themes that 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 those those individuals were saying that they wished they had done in their life. And actually, not one of them said much about work, and not one of them said much about their progression. It wasn't like, oh, I wish I'd become a director, or I wish I'd done this. In fact, one of them was, I wish I wish I hadn't worked so hard. So finding something that you enjoy doing, finding something that gives you the right work-life balance, so you can balance your kind of family life and the things that interest you uh, in a in a role in a company that, that where the culture fits will make you a better person and will make you perform better. I, I, I really believe that, and it's it's so easy to get kind of stuck in the the you know the immediate future and what you're looking at from a you know what's on your desk, what you've got to deal with from a you know a job perspective. You know, if things go wrong, it's not the end of the world. You know, the, 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 there's a much bigger picture out there. So yeah, just try and do something that you're going to be happy with. And I think if you do that, and I've been fortunate enough to, to you know to be in companies where I've been happy and I've been motivated. I think that really helps um, and aids your, your kind of growth from there. And, and, that, and that really then kind of leads on to, I guess, what I'm doing with RG in terms of now going from working with a big organization to, to, a, to, a, to a small company. And what I see kind of happening in, in real estate at the moment is it's, it's in a really kind of difficult place, given where interest rates have got to and the overall kind of capital markets. And even before that, real estate was, was generally unloved. You know, I think real estate investment makes up less than 2% of global investment so you know it's a it's a pretty small you know investment pot from a global context and if you look at i've touched on it already but if you look at all the listed real estate stocks they're all trading at massive discounts to the value of their assets and what why that's important is it means that those companies can't really raise money they can only raise money by selling assets and in the market that we're in today you can only sell good assets you can't sell your weak assets so they've almost they're almost kind of having to dilute the quality of the business to raise capital to do new stuff and it's it's a really restrictive environment, and I think whilst real estate might be a very small proportion of global investment, there is an absolutely massive opportunity for smaller businesses that are more agile that are able to tap into new capital source to really make their own kind of avenue and growth within one of the growth sectors in real estate. So, you know, the living sector, which is obviously what, I'm, what I kind of specialise in. There are, there are obviously others as well. But I think we're going to see real change over the next 10 years in the way that real estate companies are structured, set up. You know, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be a lot of mergers and acquisitions over the next 10 years, whether some of these big companies are still going to be there or whether they're going to merge or they're going to change. They're going to have to do something to to get going. And I think, again, if anyone's at the kind of start of their career, and I know when I was there, I'd, I got really attracted by the by the Landsec badge because it was big and it was good. You know, you know the one thing I'd say is you know be be curious about other companies. You know, understand who you could be working with. Understand if you could work with someone who could help you develop better rather than working in a you know in a in a huge organization. And also look at agility and seeing actually whether those businesses can grow. You know, really significantly over a period of time because some of these big organizations. I think are going to be um, are going to be stuck. So I, I think actually, notwithstanding what I've just said about the difficult situation real estate's in, I, I think it's going to be a tremendously exciting period over the next ten years. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully, uh, um, RG Real Estate will, will will kind of be part of that journey and um, uh, get swept up along the way as well. Well, Nick, 
this is a perfect time, I suppose, then for us to to wrap up on that sort of that real sort of positivity about sort of you know looking forward to the future. And um, thank you so much for sharing this this story. You've made it really easy um, uh, on me as well, and uh, you've you've given us so many sort of practical um, uh, lessons as well, mate. So thank you again. Cheers, mate. Thank you.